just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. More than a million women with epilepsy are of childbearing age in the U.S. Each year, 20,000 babies are born to women living with epilepsy. Epilepsy is the most common major neurological complication of pregnancy. And I say major because headaches are the most common minor neurological complication in pregnancy. But overall, epilepsy happens or affects about one out of every 200 pregnancies. Also remember, of course, that epilepsy disproportionately affects women over men. And the reason why is easy. Sex hormones make a difference. Remember that estrogen tends to be epileptogenic, while progesterone tends to be protective. Oh, and as an interesting tidbit, remember that epilepsy in women often brings friends along for the ride. One of the most common comorbid endocrine disorders existing in women with epilepsy is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah, PCOS. The occurrence of PCOS in women with epilepsy is 10 to 20%, while PCOS in the general population is only about 5 to 6%. So I thought it'd be a good idea to cover seizure disorders in women's health, focusing on contraception and pregnancy, because these are things that are out there and we've got to get these concepts right to take better care of our patients. Ready? Let's cover seizure disorders in women's health. We mentioned that epilepsy often brings with it some friends like PCOS. And it's odd that in women, epilepsy does have some other comorbid issues, specifically regarding reproductive function. Compared with patients without epilepsy, patients with epilepsy are more likely to experience anovulatory cycles, irregular menstrual bleeding, and even amenorrhea. Both the epileptic discharges and the effect of antiepileptic medications have been implicated as potential causes of these menstrual abnormalities. And that's a good lead-in into our topic of birth control because not only is contraception vital, but it can also help regulate these menstrual issues. All right, family, let's start off with contraception because that's such a vital topic in this population. And here's why. One study actually showed that about 80% of women with epilepsy had an unplanned pregnancy compared with 45 to 50% in the general population. Now, it's unclear why it was 80% in that study. I mean, was it because women wanted to avoid polypharmacy or they were just not on any kind of birth control at all or maybe they were on the wrong kind of birth control? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But 80% is too high. Now, that was one study and other studies haven't been uh, so pessimistic and have put the unplanned pregnancy rate in the, in the epileptic population uh, pretty close to the general population at around 50%. But it still makes the point that these women absolutely should be counseled on effective birth control. Now, if you're thinking, now, wait a minute, you can't be giving everybody birth control. No, I'm not suggesting that all women with epilepsy go on birth control. But I am saying they should go on birth control if they don't want to get pregnant. (laughs) Now, if they want to get pregnant, I'm going to cover that too. Relax. It's okay. But for right now, remember, our focus is on contraception. ACOG has a nice committee opinion touching on this subject released back in May of 2020. That was ACOG committee opinion 806. That's number 806. The title is Gynecological Management of Adolescents and Young Women with Seizure Disorders. It's a good review, and we're actually going to summarize that here. 
In that committee opinion, ACOG reminds us that in standard dosages, which is 150 milligrams every three months, Depo-Provera maintains high contraceptive efficacy even when women are taking potentially hepatic enzyme-inducing medication. And also, Depo has the advantage of potentially decreasing seizure frequency. Remember we said in the introduction that estrogen tends to be epileptogenic while progesterone seems to be protective against seizure frequency. ACOG also states that the levonorgestrel-releasing intrauterine system is also a safe and effective option in adolescents and young women and women in general who have seizure disorders who also desire menstrual improvement or contraception. The data is also reassuring for the eternorgestrel implant. Because it's just so effective at preventing pregnancy in general, the risk of contraceptive failure likely remains very, very low, even in women that are taking monotherapy, potentially hepatic enzyme-inducing medication. So what do we have? We have Depo, yes. We have the progestin IUS family, yes. We have the eternorgestrel implant, yes. That's a go. And of course, we have the copper T, that's non-hormone at all and also provides effective levels of contraception. The catch is using combination oral contraceptives when the patients are potentially on hepatic enzyme-inducing medications or even one drug in particular, which is lamictal. Remember that some anti-epileptic medications may actually induce hepatic enzymes and reduce the level of ethanyl estradiol or progesterone and therefore limit birth controls. You got to see what medication these patients are on. But a special word of combination oral contraceptives and lamotrigine, which is lamictal. That combination has actually been shown to reduce the anti-epileptic medication by up to 50%. So if you're taking combination birth control and the patient is on lamotrigine or lamictal, it's not that that AED, anti-epileptic drug, affects the birth control, but it's that the estrogen in the birth control affects the anti-epileptic drug. It's in reverse. Again, very important to understand what the patient is actually on because that will help direct the choice of birth control so that she doesn't get a failure or affect her anti-epileptic medication. And another interesting tidbit about lamictal and combination birth control pills. Lamotrigine or lamictal tends to rise during the pill-free interval, which could contribute to adverse effects. So when the use of lamictal and combination hormonal contraceptives cannot be avoided, dose adjustments with lamictal may be needed or an extended cycle use of contraception should be considered for the use of these two concomitant medications. Now, before we move on to pregnancy in women with seizure disorders, a quick word about emergency contraception. ACOG makes it very clear. All methods of emergency contraception can be used without restriction in adolescents and young women with seizure disorders or any woman using anti-epileptic medication. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Ideally, a woman with epilepsy before pregnancy would go in for pre-pregnancy counseling. Man, that just doesn't happen in my population. Hopefully, it happens in yours. Seizure freedom for nine months up to a year before pregnancy is the best predictor of seizure freedom during pregnancy. This seizure freedom is associated with a high likelihood of up to 90% of being seizure-free for the entire pregnancy. So it's very important, even when you see women with seizure disorders, for well-women care or problem-focused visit, to tell them, look, if you're not attempting pregnancy, then protect yourself because the best time to get pregnant is once you're seizure-free for nine months, preferably for one year. So when that patient with seizure disorders comes to your clinic with a positive pregnancy test, remind them that the best predictor of what their seizure frequency will look like during that pregnancy is what it's been in the last nine months to a year. But in general, because progesterone does rise throughout pregnancy, they may actually see a reduction in their seizure frequency. About two-thirds of all pregnant women can be seizure-free throughout their pregnancy. So that's good news. However, about 20 to 25% can actually have an increase in seizure frequency, especially if they were under poor control before they got pregnant. Look, these patients require a multidisciplinary team. We already know that, right? I mean, there's a generalist obstetrician who's kind of the hub. That's the core of the prenatal care. There's the MFM physician, especially when we need to do that level two ultrasound because of the medications that are taken. Congenital malformations may be an issue. We'll address that in just a minute. And of course, there's the neurologist. So right off the bat, there's at least three different caregivers taking care of this one patient. But that's okay. That's what we have to do to keep her safe and to keep her child safe. Major congenital malformations may result from fetal exposure to antiepileptic drugs, but of course it depends what specific kind of drug they're taking. But this is especially true during the first trimester. Most major congenital malformations occur between 3 weeks to 10 weeks of gestation. Now here's a clinical pearl. The rate of major congenital malformations in the general population is quoted at 1 to 3%. And the risk of fetal malformations in fetuses of women with epilepsy who do not take antiepileptic drugs is actually the same. So that proves that the rate of birth defects is not based on the epilepsy itself, but it really is based on the medication. In fetuses of women with epilepsy who do take certain antiepileptic drugs, then the overall rate of major congenital malformations is about two to threefold higher than that of the general population. Systematic reviews have confirmed that the risk of major congenital malformations is increased with antiepileptic drug monotherapy and further increased with polytherapy. So what's the golden rule? Be off medications if possible, especially in the first trimester, or use single therapy if needed and choose one that seems to be much more reassuring in terms of fetal outcomes. And I'm going to tell you which ones those are coming up soon. Now, remember, it's not just about women with epilepsy or seizure disorders because women can use some of these same medications for a variety of other conditions from mood stabilization to chronic pain conditions. So remember, it's not just the epilepsy, but it's why it's vital to also take a thorough med history, of course, with that initial intake when she comes in for care. Lamictal and Keppra are commonly used in pregnancy because of their safety profile. But a key word about Lamictal that we've already stated before, Lamictal is affected by estrogen levels because estrogen causes an increase in hepatic clearance of Lamictal. 
One study showed that the average serum clearance increased by 191% for lamictal and 200% for Keppra compared with the baseline before pregnancy. So lamictal and Keppra both can be affected by pregnancy just because of the hormone changes. Despite increasing dosage, seizures occurred or can occur as much as a third of the time more in women with pregnancy on these medications, and this happens usually around the second trimester. This occurred more frequently if a woman had seizures in the year before pregnancy or had focal epilepsy. Lamictal is metabolized, as we've already said, through hepatic glucuronidation, and this metabolism is thought to be increased in pregnancy because of the increased levels of estrogen. So that means lower serum levels of the antiepileptic med. Plasma concentrations of Keppra also appears to decrease between the first trimester and second trimester, and it decreases significantly in the third. Postpartum levels can increase to pre-pregnancy values within two weeks. So it's also important to note that once she delivers, you got to reduce that dose because it can get toxic very quickly. Those two medications, Lamictal and Keppra, also seem to have a more favorable effect on congenital malformations. In other words, they seem to be not as bad as the traditional phenytoin and valparate that was used historically. But it's a key note here, especially using these two antiepileptic medications, you've got to follow their serum levels. That's why it's very important to have good communications, not only with the neurologist, but with your PharmD. Talk with your pharmacist to make sure that these levels are adjusted correctly. Okay, we're getting close to the end. We've already covered fetal malformations, but what about other risks? Well, that depends. The type of seizure experienced can cause different degrees of complications. For example, with partial or absence seizures, the risk of the baby is actually minimal. But for tonic-clonic or the typical grand mal seizures, the risk of injury to both the baby and the mother is increased. During a tonic-clonic seizure, there's a temporary interruption of maternal breathing. Although this interruption rarely affects the mother, it can lead to oxygen deprivation for the fetus and potentially lead to episodes of repeated acidemia. Additionally, data has shown that the fetal heart rate can slow for as long as 30 minutes after a tonic-clonic seizure. In 2018, out of the journal Maternal Fetal Neonatal Medicine, a retrospective data set was published and found that through multivariable logistic regression, epilepsy as its own variable was found to be an independent and significant risk factor for placental abruption. Neonatal ICU admission, neonatal seizures, transient tachypnea of the newborn, and respiratory distress syndrome. Others have reported that compared with women with epilepsy who remain seizure-free during pregnancy, women with epilepsy with seizures throughout pregnancy have a greater risk of low birth weight infants, preterm delivery, and fetuses that are small for gestational age. Lastly, others have published that the risk for preterm birth is directly related to the number of seizures throughout pregnancy, with repeated seizures increasing the risk of preterm birth up to five times that when women are under good control. This is why it's important to address this issue, ideally preconception, so that women enter pregnancy under good control or ideally seizure-free. All right, podcast family, we have covered seizure disorders in pregnancy. Man, I feel like I talked a lot. Was that a lot? I think that was a lot. We should have done two episodes. Contraception is one and then pregnancy in the other. But oh well, too bad. 
All right. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.